Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. I'm thankful, Lord, that you woke us up this morning. God, I'm thankful for Joe and his faithfulness to teaching the Word of God. I pray that you be with him and Pam as they've had a rough week. Lord, I pray that you be with his mother-in-law, Lord, as she's had surgery. Lord, I just I pray for you to just um, speak through Joe today in the moments that he has. Lord, uh, as I've prayed often, he doesn't have to be motivational or um, inspirational, but just be clear. Mm-hmm. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Guys, I'm going to uh, begin today with a question. Well, actually, it's with a quotation I want you to look at. Uh, here uh, is a quote from John Calvin, famous theologian. He says, there's no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self. And there's no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. Now, John Calvin wasn't alone. Uh, St. Augustine said, said something very similar. Thomas Aquinas, I think, as well. I mean, all these people have this sense of, if, if you really know, want to know yourself deeply, you're going to have to know who God is. And if you really want to know who God is deeply, you're going to have to know who you are. Uh, there seem to be kind of two sides of the same coin. Well, I have good news for you today because we're going to be going through this parable, uh, the next parable coming up, and Jesus Christ in this parable is going to do you a huge favor because he's going to tell you a whole lot about you. So, so this parable uh, speaks directly to you, helps you to know who you are, and at the same time, he's going to, he's going to talk about God the Father in a way that helps you know exactly who he is. And so we, as we go through this parable... I really want you to allow the parable to be a mirror for you to, to kind of look at yourself and say, okay, this is kind of who I am, but also use this parable to help you say, oh, this is who God is. And, and, if, and if your understanding of God the Father doesn't match up very well with the understanding that Jesus gives today, that's just kind of a clue that maybe you're not quite right about God the Father. Because I'm convinced Jesus. Now, I will say this. This is not uh, the only description of of God the Father. This isn't, uh, Jesus isn't trying to be comprehensive and complete. But he's going to give a snapshot, a picture of who God is. And I really encourage you to be honest with yourself and say, is that the God that I follow? Or have I conceived something else? So anyway, so as we go through this parable, it's, it's going to be a really powerful and helpful thing. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 15, because that's where this parable is found. And, and particularly, it's helpful to always look at the context. And Luke chapter 15 begins with verse 1, striking how that works over and over. But, uh, but it says there, it says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. That's Jesus. And it's very interesting because they quite often will put tax collectors and sinners together, and it says they were all gathered around Jesus. And so the tax collectors and the sinners, those are the people on the outskirts of good Jewish society. They're the people on the fringe. They're the people who aren't living the way that the leaders think they should, but they're very interested in Jesus. And it's not because Jesus is, is, is soft-selling their issues in their life, but it's actually because he is directly speaking to them, but he does it in such a way that they're drawn to that. And I think that's very 
uh, convicting to us as evangelical Christians or people drawn to us uh, and our message. But it says there that there's that group, they're very interested in Jesus, but it also says there's Pharisees and teachers of the law and they're standing around and uh, those are very people in the center of the good Jewish culture and society. And they're people who are working hard to be the, the men and the women that they're supposed to be. Uh, they're following all the rules. They're good religious people. But they're standing around and they're, it says that they, they muttered to each other. And that's just that, that, you know, that you understand about that. You're kind of talking under, uh, not as loud, and, you're, and it's almost always negative. And they say this about Jesus. They said, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So it, it's, not, it's bad enough that these people are drawn to him, but Jesus welcomes them. He, he invites them to come close to him. He, 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 it's not just that he puts up with them. He seems to enjoy them and welcomes them. And, and that seems odd to them. And not only that, but then he eats with them. And in that culture, to eat with somebody is to acknowledge them, it's to give them credibility, it's to associate with them, and, and they're just saying, man, this is just wrong. You see, they're not doing very good with this quote from John Calvin, which hasn't happened yet, but see, they, they don't really understand God because they don't have a real good understanding of themselves. And they don't really understand themselves because they don't have a real good understanding of God. So we'll leave that up there, but Jesus is says, guys, <laughs> I don't think you all quite understand who you are and who God is, but let me tell you a few stories. So he tell, he's going to tell them three parables. And the first one is, is the lost sheep. And you, you've heard that story before. Maybe many of you have. And then there's the story of the lost coin. But then beginning in verse 11, he tells them the third of these parables. And your Bible may say the lost son or the prodigal son. It, it, it's the longest by far. It's the most detailed. And it's what we're going to look at today. So doing something a little bit differently, I'm just going to read through the whole parable, then we're going to go back and talk about it. So here we go, we're going to begin in verse 11, I'm going to read through it, and then, then we'll come back. Jesus told this story, he says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death? I will set out, I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. So they began to celebrate. 
Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants, and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because we have him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And the story just ends. I have to tell you guys, it's, it's 22 verses. It's less than 500 words. It takes me less than three minutes to read that parable. But I have to say to you, uh, you know, uh, my assignment with Man Challenge is I've got 30, 35 minutes tops to teach this. I have to say to you, I don't think I can do that. Uh, this parable, I, I, uh, this, this is the greatest story ever told. That's what I always refer to it as. I, I think it's brilliant beyond comprehension. So usually I'm the guy who tries to interact with you all. Remember, I ask questions and you all stubbornly maybe give back a little bit of response and we kind of talk through the passage. I don't have time to do that today. I just can't include you all, so you're out. All right. Uh, secondly, I'm the guy that usually has props, the whiteboard and all these different props. I don't have time for that today. They're, they're out. And oddly enough, I don't even have time to teach this passage because this passage, has it's so brilliant, Jesus is, that there's so many points. I just don't have time for it. And so what we're going to do today is something I've never done with you all in this setting. Uh, it's essentially going to be a guided devotional. I'm going to go back. I'm going to walk through this passage of Scripture. We're going to go through it slowly. I'm going to, I'll ask some questions. I'll, I'll, I'll make some suggestions. And you're going to have time just to ponder a little bit. I'm going to give you a little bit of space to think. You don't have to, you're not going to say it out loud to your group. You're not going to do this. You're not going to give comments back to me. We're just going to walk through this passage so that possibly over time through this brilliant piece of uh, literature that you might have a deep knowing of God because you're going to have a deep knowing of yourself. And you're going to have a deep knowing of yourself because you have a deep knowing of God. So that's what we're going to do today. Let's see how it works. And if, you know, uh, if it doesn't work well, they only let me do this every now and then. So, so, so you'll, you'll be okay. So, so let's go back to this passage. We're going to walk through this parable. And, and all we're going to do, you can take notes if you want, but there's going to be times I'm going to even suggest that you just kind of set your Bible down or hold it in your lap and close your eyes and just imagine along with me. So here we go. Here's this unbelievable story from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He begins by saying there was a man who had two sons. So, so here's the beauty of it. He, here, here's, here's, here's all the characters right here. There's a, a man and he has two sons. Uh, now we've focused, most, many of us have focused on quote unquote the prodigal, that's the younger son, but there's an older son as well. And he, here's what I'm going to suggest to you today is some of you are going to relate to one son or the other more than the other. Some of you have had a quote-unquote prodigal life. You've went out and lived, lived wildly like this describes, and, and you've come home. And, and some of you maybe have been at home, uh, you've been around the church all your life, and you're going to relate more to the older brother. But I, I, I want to throw out there that I think each of us, to one degree or another, have both of these men within us. 
We have this, this younger brother, the prodigal, who, who runs away. But most of us have also this, this older brother, this more stable, reliable um, brother who struggles with grace and truth. So as we go through this today, understand this, that's you. Jesus, when he talks about the younger brother, the older brother, he's talking to you, and I encourage you to hear that. And then he talks about the father. You're not the father. Let me help you with this in this parable. You're not the father. But, but, but Jesus is describing our heavenly father. This is your father, and this is your heavenly father, and he describes the father. Understand this. He's talking about and so be open to that. So here we go. He's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, now we just read through that. It's no big deal. But I have to say to you that that's a shocking statement within the Middle Eastern culture. Uh, When Jesus began the parable this way, I think the audience would have gasped. Because no one would do that. No one would say to their father, give me my, my share of the estate while they're still alive. Because essentially you're saying, Dad, I wished you were dead. But you're not. So I, want, I just want my, I want what's coming to me now. If it was a shocking statement, Jesus grabs their attention with this shocking statement, but it's even more shocking to say that the father went ahead and did it. And so while I said that this would never happen in Middle Eastern culture, it happens for you and me though, doesn't it? I mean, because our father has given us free will, he's given us the opportunity to walk away from him. I think every one of us at some point or another have a, can think of a time where we've walked away from God, where we think, I want to be in control, and so we ex- exercise that free will. And here's what's amazing to me about our Heavenly Father, is He lets us walk away. Sometimes it almost you wished He didn't, but He lets you walk away. So let's continue on. So it's not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there squandered his wealth and wild living. So it says that the younger son gathered together all he had and he headed off for a distant country. I, I love that, that term, distant country, because we think of it being a physical place, but for you and me, it's not that you don't have to, you don't have to leave Louisville to go to your distant country, if you know what I mean. Your distant country isn't a physical place so much as it's an emotional, spiritual, relational place. So I'm going to ask you this question. This is where we start just thinking and pondering is, what's your far country? Uh, it's important, as Chris said earlier, to know, know what your enemies are and what's yours. What's your far country? The place you go away to to get away from the Father, the place you go to to feel like you have control, the place you go to maybe to numb the challenges and the pain of life. What's your far country? Yeah, see, this again, I don't have time for your answers. It's okay, I appreciate that. Uh, But that was good, because you were thinking. Okay, Uh, (laughs) so for me, and for many of you, your far country is sexual desire, lust, challenges of that, temptation of that. That's a far country for an awful lot of men, and, and I understand that. And, that's, and, and it's so easy to go to that far country. You don't have to get in a car and drive or get on a plane. I mean, you can go there in your mind just like that. And, and that far country is a place we get away to. The gentleman out here says it's pride. That seems kind of an odd thing, but yeah, that's where you have control. You think you got it. For some of you men, you, you have a very obvious far country. Maybe it's, a, it's an addiction of some type. That, that's... Uh, that's a place that, that you go to to escape, or maybe it's materialism or 
maybe not just drugs and alcohol, it's food for many of us is a far country. You, you go there to escape. Like I said, materialism, pride, uh, overworking, all these different things. And if you're honest, if you understand yourself, what's your far country? I just, I'm going to just pause. You don't have to shout it out. I just pause and for you to be honest with yourself. What's your far country? And then understand this. It says that he squandered his wealth in wild living. It says after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. You see, your far country is always, always going to steal your resources. The far country just saps you of what you have. It says there that he squandered his wealth. I want you to be honest with yourself. What does your far country cost you? It may not be financially, or it may be financially, but it may not be financially, but emotionally, spiritually, relationally, what does your far country cost you? Be honest with yourself. What does your far country cost you? Just ponder that for a moment. And then the question becomes, can you afford to keep on doing that? And you may think, well, you know, I'll, I'll get it under control. My, my, my dear friend, my best friend, Bob Head, often quotes, gives this quote. He says, sin takes you farther than you want to go, and it keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it costs you more than you want to pay. Sin, the far country, will just steal everything you have. So be honest with yourself. So he, he, he's in great need, and so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. No one gave him. He's totally isolated. He's alone. And you've been in that place before in your life where you feel totally alone. Because here's what's striking. As the story begins, the father's in control. Then the son says, I want to have control and now the far country's in control. So here's a, another question to ask yourself to think about yourself and about God. Who's really in control in your life? Is your Heavenly Father literally in control of your life? Or have you kind of taken control and you think you're running things? And here's the hard question. Or has the far country taken control? Who's really in control in your life? Ponder that. Verse 17 says, it says, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. When he, I love that line, when he came to his senses, because he, he wasn't <laughs> coming to his senses, but, but when he hits rock bottom, that tends to wake you up. I mean, he had to get rid of everything before he came to his senses. Some of you have had those, well, I think we've all had those moments in our life where you Along the way, you kind of hit rock bottom, get to the end of the rope, whatever, however you want to phrase it, and you've come to your senses. I want you just to ponder and think back a little bit. When are some times in your life where you've come to your senses, when you've realized, I'm going down the wrong direction, when you realize that this is not going to get me where I want to be, what are just, just ponder, think back, what are some times in your life where you've come to your senses, where you've had a sudden sense of reality of where your life is going? 
Think about that for a moment. When have you come to your senses? So this man comes to his senses and he does something about it. And he thinks to himself, he says, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death. He says, this doesn't make any sense at all. So he says, he says, I will set out and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. Again, he came to his senses and then he comes up with a plan. He says, you know what, this is crazy. I, I, I'm starving to death. My, my father's hired men and have food to spare. So I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to say to him, Dad, I, I don't deserve to be your son. But just make me like one of your hired men. So he comes up with a plan. He, have you ever done this where you come to your senses with God, but then you come up with a plan on how to get back to him? You think to yourself, okay, boy, I'm going to start going to church every week. I'm going to be a part of this man challenge thing that my buddy's been asking me to. I'm going to start reading my Bible. And it's almost like not only is it a plan, it's almost like we make a deal with God. Have you ever thought something like this? Lord, if you get me out of this, I will. And you fill in the blank. You're making a, you're making a, so just think about the times in your life where you have come to your senses what plan did you have to get back to God, and did you make a deal with him? Just, 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 uh, many of us, I have done that numerous times in my life. Think about the deals that you've tried to make with God. Just remember those moments for just a bit. Maybe that's why you're here today, is because of the deal you made with God. As you think about those deals, let me ask you, how have they worked out for you? And is that a deep knowing of yourself and a deep knowing of God? Let's see how this works out for this young man. So he comes up with this plan. He's going to go back to his father. He's going to say, I don't deserve to be your son. Make me like a hired man. And so he, heads, so he starts heading home. What a humbling place to be to head home when you know you've blown it. Let's see what happens. So he got up and he went to his father. But now Jesus is going to describe your heavenly father. This is your God, okay? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Now, y'all have heard this taught before, I'm sure. But it says that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, understand this. So oftentimes we think we've got to get back into God's presence that somehow that, that we're in control of that. But it says here that the father's been looking for him all along. The father, even though he let him walk away, he's been anticipating him coming back. He's been looking for him. And I love this next line. It says he's been looking for him, and he's filled with frustration. He's filled with anger. He's filled with, no, it says he's filled with compassion. Now, this is one of these places where some of us really struggle to understand our God. And I want you to think about this. When God thinks of you, what emotion bubbles up for him? So again, let me ask, say this again. When you imagine God thinking about you, what emotion do you think fills him? Because some of you are, have believed the lie that when God thinks of you, 
his emotion is frustration or disappointment or expectations. No, no. Just like this prodigal, when he begins to come home, his father is filled with compassion. So I, I do encourage you to do this, this. If you're not before, do it now. Just kind of close your eyes and imagine, your, imagine God looking at you. Whatever understanding or image of God you have, imagine him looking at you. And can you allow him to be filled with compassion towards you? Just imagine God looking at you and being filled with compassion. He's for you. Now, in this moment, as you're imagining God looking at you, allow him to begin to run towards you, like in this parable. And he's running towards you with a smile on his face. He's not angry and frustrated. No, he's, he's got a smile and he's running towards you. Allow him to come running up to you and put his arms around you and hold, pull you close and kiss you on the top of your head. Just for a moment, imagine God loving you like that. For some of you, that's very difficult because you've never believed that God could love you like that. But Jesus Christ says, maybe you don't understand our Father. So just right now, allow him to hold you close. He's not in a hurry. He pulls you close. And he's filled with compassion. Well, then the son began to talk. He said, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Uh, nowhere is there a more accurate statement in the Bible. I mean, this young man doesn't deserve to be called a son. And guess what? Neither do you. Neither do I. None of us deserve to be called a son of God. None of us have lived up to the perfect standard. None of us, short of Jesus Christ who's telling the story, is the only one who could do that. And so he, when he says, I don't deserve to be your son, he's being accurate. But he's, he's being accurate about himself, but not about the father. But the father said, said to his servants who were right there, he says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Now, all those things represent being a part of the family. The, robe, the best robe, that's, that's his. That's, that's the father's robe. He says, go, go into, into my closet or whatever, pull out the best robe, because we're putting the family robe on him. And that ring is not just a ring, it's the ring. It's the family crest. Put that on him. Put sandals on his feet. That one seems really odd to us. But in that culture, if you were a servant uh, or a slave, you would more than likely not have sandals or shoes of any type. You'd be barefoot. But a son... A son has that. And the father says, listen, listen, nice speech. Yes, you don't deserve to be my son, but you are my son. And so quick, go get the things that shows that he's my son. He didn't say, get him, get him cleaned up, get his act together. You, you fulfill your promise, I'll fulfill mine. No, he says, no, just go get it right now. So he tells <clears throat> not only his son this, but he tells the servants this so they know who he is. Have you allowed your heavenly father to put the family robe on you? Are you have you allowed yourself to admit that you are part of the family even though you don't deserve it? Again, slow down and ponder and ask yourself honestly, have you accepted 
that you are a child of the king even though you haven't deserved it or earned it. Now maybe you've never come to that point. You've never come to that point of accepting the invitation to be a part of the family. And if that's the case, talk to the guys at your table. But for many of you guys, you've been a part of the family for years, if not decades, but you still are trying to earn what's yours. Let's read on. So not only does he give him the robe and the sandals and the ring, but then he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive, and he was lost and he was found. So they began to celebrate. Can, can you imagine the heavens celebrating every time you come home? That's what Jesus says is true. Well, there's another part of the story. We have to keep going. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Here's the older brother. This is part of you as well. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Don't you hate to feel like you're on the outside? He, he says, what's going on? What's happening? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28 says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. The older brother comes back and says, I, I don't want to have anything to do with my little brother. He doesn't deserve to be called son. Remember, he's saying the exact same thing his little brother said. And he refuses to go in. He stubbornly says, I don't want to have anything to do with this grace and love of my father. Again, some of you may be more like the older brother, but all of us have a bit of that in us. That judgmental spirit, that, that spirit that, that thinks we should earn everything we get, that, that, that sense of, of self-righteousness, and he refuses to go in. So what happens? So his father went out and pleaded with him. So again, the father goes out to the son. So just as when you mess up and you turn back towards your heavenly father, he comes running out to meet you. Also, when you arrogantly, pridefully, judgmentally, self-righteously stand up and kind of demand your way, our heavenly father comes out to us and he pleads with us because he wants what's best for you. And here's how the older brother responded. He says, all, he says, look, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Does that describe your spiritual life? You have a sense of that you've been slaving for God and you're doing everything you can to make sure you follow all of his orders. Does that describe your spiritual journey? Because that's not what the Father's invited you to. He doesn't want us. Now, there's times that we talk about being servants and slaves of God. I got that. But here, this young man describes his relationship with his father as I've slaved for you. That's not what your heavenly father's after, is that you being a slave to him. He's after you being his child. So you have to be honest. Some of you in this room have a sense of I serve God, but it's with a stubborn, prideful, hardened heart. And he says, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You notice he doesn't want to celebrate with his father. He wants to celebrate with his friends. So oftentimes when we get rigid and religious, because that's what every other religion is about, and you're just serving God, you're just wanting, you're serving him so he'll somehow bless you. 
Now be honest with yourself. Do you serve God so that he might bless you in some way? We get caught up in that lie. Lord, if I do this, will you help me get that promotion? If I do this, will you save my family? If I do this, will you help me make more money? Will I, will I do this, will you heal me of this? Again, he's not looking for employees, he's looking for his children. And he goes on to say this, this, this I've never, you never let me celebrate, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fat and calf. Dad, you're, you're not fair. If you're waiting for God to become fair, that's going to be a problem because he's not fair with you either. Here's how the father responds. He says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. For some of us religious people, we need to hear that. We need to hear that we are always with our Father. We, we don't have to earn our way back to him. We don't have to work our way back to him. He says, you are always with me, and everything he has is ours right now. Quit trying to get his blessing. You have his blessing in him. And then he says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead, is alive again, is lost, and he's found Son, come in and celebrate my love for your brother because you get all that love too. So gentlemen, as we move towards wrapping this up, I have to ask you, you need to identify that younger brother in you, the, the brother who, who, who runs away to the far country to try to find some relief that you're never going to find the relief there. It's never going to give you what you desire. And you just need to humbly say, I'm done with that and I'm going home. You don't have to make a speech. You don't have to make a deal with God. Just come home. And you just need to accept the love of the Father. And just embrace it. It seems too easy, but that's who our Father is. And secondly, if you're that older brother, and most of us have some of that in us, that judgmental, self-righteous, prideful, wanting to earn what you get, you just have to let go of that. Because that is a lie from hell that that's how you relate to your father. You are not his slave, you're his son. And can you honestly allow God to be who he really is and not just what you've manufactured? Let me end with a little story. Um, I'm not an art critic or fan particularly, but I, I love the stories. And so Rembrandt, famous artist from, uh, a Dutch artist from the 17th century, uh, wildly gifted at an early age, uh, wildly acknowledged at an early age, lived a very, very prodigal life. He was, uh, had, had, a, had a wild life, uh, uh, lived a wild life, and early on in his life he painted, he painted many pictures of himself, and one of them was what, what he called the young prodigal. Here, I think we have a picture of that. Uh, that's actually him in the front there, and that's, he actually had his wife model that, but this is, he's holding up this glass of some alcoholic beverage, as it were, and he was living the high life. And he actually kind of mockingly said, I am the prodigal, and I'm enjoying it. I'm gone to a far country, and I'm living wildly. And that described his life in many ways. He, uh, he had some real challenges with that. But as life went on, he began to see 
that, as, as my friend Bob would say, uh, you know, the sin takes you further than you want to go and keeps you longer than you want to stay and costs you more than you want to pay, ended up costing him a great deal. His wife would die before him. She lost three of their four children in childbirth. He had all sorts of financial problems. Uh, he, he was, his life kind of imploded, and he kept on chasing after relationships, but they never gave him what he wanted to. Late in his life, he began to turn towards God, and it changed everything for him. As a matter of fact, some of his most famous paintings were paintings from Scripture, but some people believe it's his final painting if not, one of his last one or two was a picture that comes up next, and it is the picture of the prodigal son. This famous painting, this is, this is, this is 30 years after that first one. And now, it's not like, woohoo, look at me, I'm living this wild life. He goes, oh no, I understand this story now. And in this picture, you can see to the left, you can see this young son who's come back. You can look how disheveled he is, how how weak he is, how his clothes are practically falling off of him, but the father, the loving father, has embraced him as is pulling him close. Rembrandt, in his brilliance, even with the hands, one hand is very strong and, and powerful, and the other hand is more feminine and, and, and kind of caressing, and that it's showing the two sides of God in this powerful painting. To the far right in the picture, as you look at it, you see the man standing very upright. Everyone assumes that this is the older brother. He's at a bit of a distance. He's looking down with some sense of self-righteousness and condemnation. He's not very close to the father. In between the father and the prodigal and the older son, there's kind of a man in the shadows there, and that's Rembrandt again. He liked to paint himself into his pictures, and there he is looking at this incredible scene, I think in almost in a sense saying, where do I fit into this picture? This was toward the very end of his life, and at that point, Rembrandt had said, I want to be held by the Father. So I want to allow this picture to kind of wrap this up for you and just almost put yourself in that picture where Rembrandt is and say, say this to yourself, where do you want to be? Do you want to be off to the side, kind of self-righteously waiting for God to bless you for what you deserve? Or do you want to just finally surrender and allow your Heavenly Father to love you as you are? To no longer reside in the far country, but to humbly come home and just say, here I am. Where do you fit into this story and what is God inviting you to do? I'm going to give you about 10 seconds, 15 seconds to ponder that. Where do you fit into this story? Dear Heavenly Father, we sit here as a bunch of younger brothers and older brothers. We, 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 the lies that cause us to pull away from you, Lord, we, we admit them, we lay them before you, and Lord, I pray that you would humble us enough to set down all of our pretense and simply allow you, simply allow ourselves to receive the love that you've offered us. 
Lord, for the men in this room right now who feel like they're off in the distant country, help them to know that they can be at home now. They don't have to work their way back. They can be at home now. And Lord, for the men in this room who keep on coming back and making bargains and deals with you, Lord, help us to be honest enough to say, I don't have to do that anymore, that, that you accept me as I am, not with what I ought to be. Lord, Lord I, and for the older brothers in this room, that we would, we would just quit trying so hard, and we would quit trying to be the judge of the world, and we would simply experience your grace and share your grace. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who is so different than anything we can comprehend. But Lord, help us to comprehend that. Lord, all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before you go anywhere, one quick thing. Uh, next slide, Dave. If you want to think more about the story of the prodigal son, three books I would recommend. One is Prodigal God by Timothy Keller. Uh, the second one is Henry Nowen does a whole book on that painting by Rembrandt, and it's fabulous. It's probably 40 years old, but it's great. And then the final one is this little book by Kenneth Bailey, who I think is, he's by far the best at, with the parables, I think, called The Cross and the Prodigal. It gives incredible background in the, in the stories. Gentlemen, it is a great story, but it is of little value if you don't allow that story to become your story. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media. 